The following audio is from the Grove Church Snohomish campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Awesome. We're so happy that you're here today on Mother's Day. My name is Andrew, and today we continue our series called How to Neighbor. Uh, We're talking about what it means uh, when Jesus says the greatest commandment on planet Earth, that you should love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And what we're doing in this series, this is part two, if you ever miss a series, you can always go online and listen to a podcast. What we're doing in this series is in the same way that Jesus was turning the tables on what it meant to love people that were different than other than Jews, we're doing the same thing in our day today to literally take the words of Jesus to mean literally loving our very neighbors, the ones that live behind us and in front of us, below us, beneath us, whatever layout that you live in. And so we're talking about what does it mean to really love our neighbor as ourselves and how can that impact where we live every single day. Well, there's this, been this phenomenon going on, going around for a long time now, and you see it on social media, you see it in the news, and it's this controversies over what do you see? Now, before I show anything, I want you to just think about this for a second. What's going to happen is I'm going to show you an image. All these three are very popular, and you probably have had arguments around the table about this, but it's amazing that people see two different things when you see this thing. And so the first one, obviously, the most controversial one, was the controversy of the dress. Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? Okay, so as I show you this dress here, there's two options here, okay? First of all, some people say that they see white and gold. Go ahead and raise your hand if you see white and gold on this. Uh, okay, so we got a few hands here, okay? Not very many, all right? Okay, now how many of you actually see black and blue? Go ahead and raise your hand. Oh my word! Look at that. One more time. White and gold? Not very many of us. And then black and blue. Look at that. That's absolutely crazy. Okay, here's another one. This was an audio one that, that went viral. Okay, let's, let's, let's listen to this. I want to hear what you, what you hear here. Go ahead. Laurel. 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 Okay, how many of you would say you're hearing the word laurel? Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. Any weird person in the room hearing the word yay? Wow, that's craziness. All you that heard Literally, and we're going to love 
calls us to do, that we're going to have to do a great job to see and hear the way our Heavenly Father's sees and hears people. Let me say this again. If you and I are going to be incredible neighbors and really take this commandment literally, we are going to have to take on the eyes of Christ, take on the ears of Christ, and understand who people are, how God views them, and how much God cares for humanity. It wasn't just us, though, that have a problem with seeing and hearing the way that God sees and hears. The stories of the Bible deal greatly with people who are needing to be corrected on how they view people, his most prized creation. Last week, we discussed that Jesus was redefining the Good Samaritan, who is our neighbor. In Jesus' day, it was an ethical and cultural issue for a good Samaritan to reach out to a Jew. Today, it's a practical and a literal example. I want to show you how awesome and compassionate and loving our God is through the story of Jonah. Anyone ever heard the story of Jonah before? Go ahead and raise your hand. I'm pretty familiar with this story. All right. Jonah, Jonah was a prophet, as you may know, and prophets in the Bible were given messages from God to be told to the people on his behalf. When we meet Joah, Jonah, it is this very thing. God is wanting to send one of his own to tell a nation of people that are Gentiles and non-Jewish to turn from their wicked ways. In the first two chapters of Jonah, because of time, we're not going to start there. We're going to start chapter 3. But let me just sum it up for you. God tells Jonah, Jonah, go to the Ninevites, tell them to turn from their wicked ways. Jonah says, I'm good, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. He tells them to go east, he decides he's going to go west. He gets on a boat with a bunch of people that are heading to Tarshish as they're hanging out on the boat. What ends up happening is this huge storm comes on board. Jonah's in the belly of the, of the boat asleep. They wake him up saying, what's going on? He says, this is my fault through the casting of lots. Jonah gets tossed into the ocean, swallowed by a fish, in a fish for three days and nights, gets spat out back onto the shore, and we pick it up in Jonah chapter 3, after he's already disobeyed God once, let's see what he responds to God this time. So, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, this is Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray for God's word today. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're calling us to be better neighbors. You're calling us to be people that really love those we live closest to. And I pray today, God, that the story of Jonah, God, we really see how compassionate, how merciful, how loving you are, God, to people that are in your family, but also the people who are far from you, God. So give us a heart to hear. God, give us a, a mind to understand what you want to say. It's in your good name we pray. Amen. So these first few verses, we see that Jonah heads to Nineveh and begins to call the people to repent. Now, Nineveh was a part of the nation of the Assyrians or the people of the Assyrians. And these were wicked people. In fact, because there's kids in the room, I'm not going to go into all the grotesque things that they would do to individuals. But let me just basically put it in this way, in a broad term, that they would destroy and murder people in the worst of ways to prove their strength and their power. They were wicked. They had many uh, prostitutes in the day. They had many wickedness in the town and in the city. And God sees the city and how wicked and how against they are to him. And he sends his prophet to say basically these words. Turn or die. Or basically, you're just going to die. I'm going to destroy all of you in 40 days because of your wickedness, because of your brutality, because of your lack of love and compassion and grace towards others and people that are less marginalized than you. You're going to be completely wiped out. So Jonah gives them this word. And a lot of times in Scripture what happens is God will send a prophet to people and will tell them to turn from their wicked ways. And what happens? They actually don't turn from their wicked ways and God ends up destroying them because of sin. It happens all throughout the Scriptures that because of their sin, because of their ignorance, because of their pride, they choose instead of turning to God, they turn away from God. However, in this story, the Ninevites actually decide that they're going to heed the words of a prophet. It would be like the shockingness of, of a pastor and the people actually listening to what he says. That's what this would be like. That would be, that would be amazing, right? But this is what's happening in Jonah. The people of the Ninevites are hearing the words of Jonah and they call for a fast and pray. They cover themselves in sackcloth and ashes, which in that day was a form of repentance. They call out to God in repentance and let them call out mildly to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So rather than continue to rebel against God, rather than continue to disobey from God, rather than not want to follow in his direction, they hear the words of Jonah and they go, you know what? We're wrong. We repent. We're going to fast. We're going to pray. We're not going to feed our animals or our kids. We're going to call an immediate fast and cry out to our Heavenly Father and ask Him to repent and ask Him to forgive us and ask us to wash away this wickedness, this grotesque lifestyle, this brutality, the blood that's been on our hands, all of these things. We're going to call out to Him and see maybe God in His mercy and His grace will actually turn away His wrath and His justice and provide his love and his mercy. Is God willing and will he do this this time for us? It says in verse 10 that when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. 
God responds on their behalf. He sees them crying out. He sees their heart of repentance and responds with mercy and grace. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It is God's desire through the work of Jesus on the cross and the power of his resurrection that people of every tribe and tongue should respond this way of God, turning his wrath away from them and rescuing his people. So it's an encouragement for you and I today on the very character and nature of who God is, that we literally could be sitting in here today and maybe we feel like we're a Ninevite. Maybe our life, maybe we feel like there's things on our hands and our hearts. Maybe we have unclean lips or unclean hands. Or maybe this week we found ourselves doing the things we wish we ought not to do. Maybe we find ourselves struggling against a sin or temptation. Maybe we treat people a way that maybe God doesn't want us to treat them. And we can find ourselves, like the Ninevites, feeling like maybe God will you know, judge me. Maybe the church will judge me. Maybe his love isn't able to cover this sin or this lifestyle. Or maybe God's grace isn't this big. Or maybe his ocean and his forgiveness is not that wide. And yet Peter reminds us, and through the book of Jonah, is that when God saw what they did. Can I encourage you today, as just a little bit of a side point here, that maybe you find yourself in a place where you feel that God's love is not there, his grace is not there. But my encouragement to you today is that if you just turn to God in prayer, if you just turn to God and confess, if you just turn to God and be moved with his love and his grace for you, I believe God sees you today. And so this is the story of Jonah, that these people, not Jewish descent, not the special privileged people of Israel, these Ninevites, these people that were not of God, they turn from their wrath and, and God rescues them. It says, when he saw them, he relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This would be like you and I, even for ourselves or someone that we know that struggles with a certain lifestyle, or struggles with a certain sin, or struggles with a certain pattern, and we pray for them, we call out to them, we encourage them, but for whatever reason, they have yet to turn to God, and then somehow, in some way, they end up confessing their sin, they end up asking, they end up coming to repentance, and you would think that in that situation, for people that we care about, or even people we don't care about, that our hearts would be glad, and we would be sincere about, wow, that person, that family, that group finally turned their life over to God. And then we get to chapter 4. In verse 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said? When I was yet in my country, this is why, and that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to live, to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city 
sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see or should see what would become of the city. This is amazing. Now, as a parent, I got two little girls. They're amazing, Lydia and Jude. But I'm now an expert now, Lydia, going on four. I'm now an expert on kids' tantrums, all right? I mean, there's all sorts of different kind of tantrums kids play with you, man. It's amazing. There's the silent treatment tantrum. There's the not going to give you any kisses because I'm too upset tantrum. There's the stopping and running away and not listening tantrum. And here's what's happening with Jonah. Jonah's just having a huge tantrum. He just throws a huge tantrum. He sees that God is not going to operate in his justice and chooses to operate in his grace and mercy. And this displeases him. In fact, he quotes the nature of God and his character, but in a really mockery kind of way. I mean, he basically is like, I can't believe this. I cannot believe this. I cannot believe this. And what he does is he comes over in the corner where he can see the city of the Ninevites in Nineveh, like my daughter sometimes does, and like, <laughs> right, arms folded, angry, upset. Like, how dare you, God? How dare you be this? Merciful and gracious and compassionate. How dare you? See, it's interesting because what you would think in this situation is that Jonah's response would be, Oh my Lord! They repented! They turned away from their sin! They fasted! This is amazing! They love God now! God relented his disaster! He forgives them. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He cannot believe that God's loving kindness and mercy is going to be extended to these people. Ouch. Like, God, I'm, I'm good if you save, like, neighbor one and three, but the one in the middle, man, God, just burn them down. Like, please. They never mow their lawn, and their kids are wicked. <laughs> These people. See, see, what we learn about Jonah, and it's so sad, is that Jonah is a self-righteous, shallow believer who only wants God's goodness to be extended to the people that are like him or are from his nationality. He wants God's grace to be limited to only certain types of people, his very own. And because God's grace is being extended and his compassion is being poured out on non-Jewish descent people, people who are not like him, people who are wicked like him, people who do not obey their, his God and know the law and the rules that he follows. And because they're not from his culture and his descent and they don't live like him and, have, and talk like him, he therefore is angry that God would be this merciful and gracious. This grace that is being offered to non-Jewish people is a foreshadowing of what Jesus came to do 
to seek and save both the Jews and the Gentiles. God goes on here and he provides a plan for Jonah. Says in verse 6 here, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to serve him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Notice that he's exceedingly glad about a plant, but he's exceedingly angry about people turning to God. He's angry at God's love and compassion, so God destroys the plant, and Jonah gets angry again. It says that you... It's interesting here, if we continue to read this here, it says, so when, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It's better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah again, Do you do, you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity the, the Ninevites, or Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? God says, you pitied the plants for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city? This word pity, I want to talk about for just a minute here. This is a compassion word. The word used in verse 10 and 11 for pity. It's a word for compassion. It's a word that means to grieve over someone or something. To have your heart broken. To weep for it. God says you have you had compassion for the plant. That is, God says you wept over it, Jonah. Your heart became attached to it. When it died, it grieved you. Then God says, in essence, you weep over plants, but my compassion is for people. For God to apply this word to himself is radical. This is the language of attachment. God weeps over the evil and lostness of Nineveh. When you put your love on someone, you can be happy only if they are happy and their distress becomes your distress. The love of attachment makes you vulnerable to suffering, and yet that is what God calls and that's what God says about himself here and in other places. In Genesis 6, 6 it says that when God looked down on the evil of the earth, his heart was filled with pain. While this language cannot mean that the eternal, unchangeable God loses any of his sovereignty. It is a strong declaration at which we must marvel. Most of our deepest attachments as humans, beings, are involuntary. Jonah did not look at this plan and say, I'm going to attach my heart to you in affection. We need many things and we get emotionally attached to things that we meet that meet those needs. God, however, needs nothing. He is utterly and perfectly happy in himself. And he doesn't need us. So how could he get attached to us? The only answer is that an infinite, self-sufficient divine being loves only voluntarily. Unlike Jonah and his attitude, God is moved with compassion for the people of Nineveh. I want to give you three things today as we bring this message 
to a close here, I want to give you three things about what it means to be actually moved with compassion for people in your neighborhood. Like I said earlier, if we're going to love and care for people, we have to love and care for people and see people the way God sees them. Number one here, it's going to take us to slow down to see and to hear. If we're really going to love our literal neighbors, we must take in the account that this is going to take time and intentionality. People take time to change and to grow. What we learned from Jonah is not only did he not want to slow down, but he wanted to go fast and go in the opposite direction of where God's calling him to go. And what ends up happening is sometimes where we live and the neighborhood that we belong to, we find our lives at such an unhealthy pace that we're not even able to be physically home in order to have opportunity to talk to a neighbor that's outside, to reach out to someone behind us or next to us, because we're not even taking the time to slow down and let the Holy Spirit help us to see and hear what he sees and hears in the life of our literal neighbor's around us. Number two here, if we're going to love our neighbors from our hearts, we got to remain flexible and open. The problem with Jonah is that he cared more about a plant than he did people. And he cared more about people like him experiencing the love of God than people who were different than him. If we're going to love people the way God loves and cares for people, I'm here to tell you, we're going to have to be much more open-handed and have much more flexibility on the type of people that we live around. Yes, they may not talk like you. Yes, they may not have a lifestyle like you. Yes, they may be far from God and not know the rules and language that Christians use. Yes, they may be broken and hurting. Yes, their lifestyle may not add up to Scripture. And yet what we learn from the book of Jonah is that God is so merciful and compassionate to people that were nothing like Jonah. And yet Jonah did not like that. Jonah was shallow. Jonah didn't want to see people the way God sees them. Jonah wanted God's mercy and grace only on the terms that he was okay with. He wanted the mercy and the grace of God to be extended only to certain types of people in the way that he thought would work in the style that he wanted. And God was coming to bring to him a huge rebuke to say, hey, my grace and my mercy and my love is not limited to people just like you. My grace and my mercy and my love cross all languages and tribes and lifestyles and types of family and people. Lastly here, we must have a tremendous amount of compassion. We must train our eyes and our heart to be moved by the brokenness and pain around us. Jonah was not moved by the pain of Nineveh. His response to their repentance was, so what? Who cares? Why then? Why now? And could it be that our own self-righteousness and pride is getting in the way for us to have the kind of compassion God is calling us to have? If we go back to Jonah for just a moment here, I love the way that uh, Jonah ends. 
Can we get to the last chapter of Jonah there for me on the screen for everybody? It says, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Done. Like, what? Like, this is over. The book just ends. And the reason why the book ends this way is because it gives us, the reader, both then and now, to decide and answer how should we respond to the awesome mercy and grace of God for those around us. Behind the bedrock of both the story of the Good Samaritan and the story of Jonah is this truth. It is that people are created in the image of God and have what we call the Imago Dei on them. Timothy Keller, one of my favorite authors, writes this. Even those who in themselves deserve nothing but contempt should be treated as if they were the Lord himself, because his image is upon them all. Say about the stranger before you that you owe nothing for any service of his, but God, as it were, has put him in his own place in order that you may recognize toward him the many and great benefits which God has bound you to himself. You will say, he has deserved something far different from me, yet what has the Lord deserved? Remember not to consider men's evil intention, but to look upon the image of God in them, which cancels and effaces their transgressions, and with its beauty and dignity allures us to love and embrace them. See, what Keller is alluding to and what God teaches all throughout the scriptures is that every single person is made in the image of God. And what we learn in the book of Jonah, even in chapter 2, is that they're in the same boat. The same people that Jonah was trying to flee from, these pagans, he's now in a boat with pagans trying to figure out what the storm means and what they can do. What this is saying to you and I today is that more times than not, we are in the same boat, fighting the same issues and problems, dealing with the same struggles and difficulties that every other person and every other human has. We're in the same boat with them, struggling, trying to pay our bills, trying to have great families, trying to give our kids a great life. We're in the same boat, and a lot of times we treat the people very closest to us as if they're not even in the same ocean. We look at them and their life and the way that maybe they live or the things that they say and they do, and we think they're nothing like us. And yet Keller reminds us that they are made in the image of God. They have God's imprint on their heart. They have this very presence, their identity, their true DNA is actually marked on their heart. And when they're falling into temptation, when they're making a mess of their lives, when they maybe are living like the Ninevites, our hearts should be moved more towards the mercy and the grace and the goodness of God than it should be towards the justice and the wrath of God. Can we take this very message and recognize that there's times in our lives where we need to get far more open and flexible with people. Can we begin to train our eyes and our hearts to be moved by the brokenness and the pain of those around us? Can we try with our very best strength and with the power of God's Spirit to look at people and go, wow, that's one of your sons. Wow, that's one of your daughters, God. 
while they're, they're made in your image. And I don't want to limit your grace to, to fit in the little box that I'm good with. I want this grace to break the box and the mold that I've put around my own heart. I want it to be extended to people that no one thinks will come to you. And when it happens, man, God, I, I want to rejoice over that. I want to be thankful for what you've done. <clears throat> Let me pray for you today. Every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Christ and what he's done in our lives. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Bible says that Christ died for our sin, that he rose again and gave us life. The Bible says that when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus died and rose again, that we shall be saved. And like I said earlier, maybe you're in here today and you say, you know, I, I kind of feel like I'm one of those Ninevites. I've been outcasted by family. I've been treated differently because of who I am. I've done things I'm ashamed of. And I feel a lot of times that there's been more judgment from those around me than God's love. There's been more finger pointing than arms opening. And I feel ashamed of that. But maybe you sit here today and you go, I, I need to turn back to the living God who sent his son for me. I need to turn back into repentance. I need to pray. I need to come to the saving work of Jesus and recognize that I was lost but not found. That God's wrath wants to be relented from me. He wants to, he wants to see Jesus when he sees me. And so if you're here today and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you want, him to make, you want to make him the Lord and your Savior of your life. You want to surrender your life to him. I'm just going to ask you to lift up your hand in this place if that's you. You want to repent and turn your life back over to Jesus. If you're in this room here today. One, thank you so much. Two, thank you so much. Put your hands down. These two. You want to put your faith in Jesus today with these two hands. Anyone else in the room today, you want to turn your life over to Christ with these two hands. Three, thank you so much. You put your hand down. Anyone else with these three hands? You say, man, I want to turn back to Jesus. I want him to be my Lord. I want him to be my Savior with these three hands. Four, thank you, sweetie. Anyone else? You want to give your life over to Christ with these four hands. His grace and His mercy extends beyond our own understanding. His grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in our weaknesses. With these four hands, you want to just say, hey, count me in. I want to know Jesus today with these four hands. All right, if you're a Christ follower with me, would you just pray this prayer with me? Just say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I repent today. I turn to you. I accept the free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we celebrate? Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Snohomish Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.